I'm going to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and say, nevertheless, God is good. Hey, if you're going to depend on an answer from me, it's going to come from God's Word. And it's going to come from what I know to be true and who God is. Today's message from Harvest Church of God titled, God's Promises Are Still on Us. Pastor Jerry Irwin speaks about confronting your strongholds. And he never fails. He is an always winning God. Undefeated all-time champion. I remember Dad talking about a champion named Joe Lewis. He said there was a guy in the community had the first radio that they could remember. And he said they'd always walk across the fields and across the ways to get to uh, that man's house. I believe his name was Brimer. And he owned an old Phil Cole radio, I believe he said. And they said they had to mess with the antenna trying to get it. And he said they'd look up and they'd say the stars. And they'd say, it'd be clear tonight. We'll get a good signal tonight. And they walked over there through those fields to get to hear the boxing match with Joe Lewis fighting. And uh, Joe Lewis would win. And they'd walk back home. Susan, they would say, every night, boy, I'll tell you what. There's nobody can beat Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis is the greatest boxer ever. He's the best in the world. There will never be anybody ever defeat him. And he said, one night we walked across those fields and, and said it was a clear night and we got a good reception that night, but said there was a German Max something and said, and he knocked out Joe Lewis. And said, buddy, we walked back home that night with our heads hung low and said, shaking our head. I didn't think anybody would ever beat Joe Lewis. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus has never lost a battle. <laughs> Amen. He's an undefeated all-time champion, and he's never lost and never will. And one of the great things about him, he says, you have victory because I won the victory for you. Amen. So many times you pray, God, give me the victory. Well, he's telling you, I've already given it to you. Walk in it. Amen. Just accept it and believe it. And walk in the victory that God has given. Turn with the 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 and 4 and 5. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to preach this morning. Thank you for talking to me in the prayer closet that I might speak in this pulpit and tell people what you said. Now I ask you to move upon me, O Lord, with an enablement from the Holy Spirit, for of myself I can do nothing. I need your help, and I ask you to touch me this morning and give me clarity and give me recall of what we've talked about. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The Corinthian correspondence is some of the most informative that we have about living this triumphant life that he wants us to live. Living out the purpose and the plan of God for our lives. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 9, or 2 and 9, it says, As it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things God hath prepared for us, but he's revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Spirit is the author of the Word of God. Did you know that holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost? That God spoke through men to put in words what his will and revelation is for us. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul bears upon this, this notion that we can't just be spiritual without fighting battles. 
to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was quite a successful church. You might call it the uptown church. It was a wealthy church. It had influential people in it. It had a lot of things going on that were positive. In fact, there were a lot of spiritual gifts that were in operation in that church. They had word of knowledge. They had gifts of discernment. They had uh, tongues and interpretation. They had interpretation of dreams and vision. All those things, they had them in their church, even to what Paul called excess. And they had a lot of things going for them. They, they had won people to God. They had great influence. But they also had some faults. But their faults were mainly in their lifestyle. Uh, you see, you can't exercise spiritual gifts if you don't have integrity with God in your lifestyle. Amen. My dad used to say, uh, don't, I don't mind you kicking your heels up on Sunday night just so you come down walking straight on Monday morning. And that was his way of, of saying, you got to live right to have the Holy Spirit work through your life and have gifts of the Spirit operate. There's got to be a, a, a sanctifying and, a, and a, a purity, a personal purity in who you are and how you live your life for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 and 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. War, that's battle language, isn't it? You know, not many Christians are really aware that there is a, a fight to be fought, that Christian people are involved in a clash between two kingdoms. Many of God's people don't realize that there's two forces gaining, trying to gain control. And it's symbolized by a lot of metaphors. Uh, light and dark is one of those. And flesh and spirit. And Paul really, really hammers that, that fleshly thing very hard. And he talks about how that there are things that are reserved for righteous people. Third chapter in 1 Corinthians, he says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Because the church had become so fleshly and so worldly that he said, I can't talk to you in spiritual uh, means and by spiritual words because there's such carnality and there's such fleshly extravagance that's going on in the church. And he said, you can't have both of those things. There's a warfare. And he even said in Galatians that the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh lusteth against the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, 17. And that lets us know that there are two entities that are struggling to gain control of every one of us, and there's a battle to fight between the spirit and the flesh. Wow. As you look up here at me today, you see the house I live in. But there's another real me that lives on the inside, and that man Paul called the inner man. And Peter called him the hidden man of the heart. So then there's a real person on the inside of us that you don't see. I, I recorded a song one time that said, uh, would, would it be possible that there, a window could be attached to all of our souls so that all could see what lies inside? It's a, it's a song about how about your heart. And uh, if it was equipped with a window so people could see into our heart, but we don't have that, do we? No, we don't have that. So we just have to look at the way people talk and the way they act and the way they behave as to what's in their heart. 
Why is the heart so important? The Bible said, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the heart is the citadel of the real us. The abode, the real house that we live in is in our heart. And I want to tell you there are a lot of hearts that are under attack. It's, it's in our heart where the, where the devil wants to attack us. The Bible said, Jesus said, be, be concerned and be diligent. Be on your guard lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the affairs of this life. In other words, he's saying the real battle is fought in our hearts, in our belief system, our, our, our center of our emotions, our conscious being is where that war is really waged. The Bible tells us not be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the mind and the heart, the real us, the thought life, is where the battle is really waged. And he says we walk in the flesh. Yes, we do. We eat physical food. We wear tangible clothes. But he said the, the war that we fight is not fought like that. We don't fight with weapons that you can see and hold in your hand. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons, verse 4, you've you quoted this so many times. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not worldly. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You might say that a stronghold is a fortress. A fortress. A stronghold is nothing more than a mindset, a worldview, a belief system or thought process that hinders your growth in God and hinders your peace with God. It is a stubborn disposition. It is a rebellious disposition. An unbelieving accusation firmly planted in our minds by Satan to oppose the goodness of God. Wow, are you getting that? To oppose the goodness of God and create an atmosphere of doubt, anger, fear, distrust, and negative cynicism in our thought life. In other words, Satan wants to destroy Everything you believe about the goodness of God. And that's where the battle is waged. And if he can weary you with this way of believing God and trusting God and holding on to God, his job is to get you to a place that you doubt the goodness of God, doubt the presence of God, doubt the efficacy of God's redemptive provision. That's his goal is to get in everyone's mind get in everyone's thought process and defeat your belief that God will see you through. Defeat your belief that God is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Defeat your belief that through Jesus Christ there's redemption and forgiveness of sin. Everything that is good about God, Satan wants to dismantle that in your life. That's why it's so important that you confront those strongholds. Some strongholds live in us a long time. Some people think that strongholds are addiction. 
addiction. Some people feel like strongholds is, is uh, some personality trait or some uh, physical thing, alcoholism or drugs or, or something of that nature, an anger, angry temper, and that kind of thing. That's not a stronghold. A stronghold is something that gets situated in your life that exists to deny the goodness of God. It's an accusation. It's a false accusation. It's a lie. How many of you know the devil is a liar? How many of you know he's the father of lies? So that his intimidation is nothing but a lie. His denial of the goodness of God, he's constantly trying to undermine and subvert the goodness of God in your life. What did he say to Eve in the garden? God has told you all these good things. God's told you that you could rule over everything, name everything, that you could eat of everything here, that you could just live here in paradise forever. But said, but God's really not telling you the truth. There, there, there's a tree here, and he told you not to eat of that tree, and he told you the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die, but ye shall not surely die. You see, when the devil can make you doubt God's word, when the devil can make you think that God is playing some foolish game, that God is making promises he doesn't intend to keep, that God is saying things that he really knows is not really true. You see, if the devil can convince you of that, and he has with a lot of people, with a lot of people, but the Bible tells us that nevertheless God is good. The Bible tells us God is love. The Bible tells us God is peace. All of those things that God has said that he would do, he has done. You see, emotions are to the soul what symptoms are to our body. How do you know you've got a headache? Some smart person said it hurts. How do you know you saw a guy yesterday and had a boot on, and I said, what happened to you? He said, I fell down the stairs. I said, what happened? He said, broke my ankle. Well, how do you know that ankle's broke? It hurts. It lets me know I've got symptoms. Symptoms tell my body something's wrong. I was walking in a while ago, and my knee popped, and I told the person I was walking beside, I said, that old knee just pops like that. Symptoms, that means that you've got bones in there rubbing against bones, and they pop. And don't look at me like yours don't ever pop. They pop. And sometimes they hurt when they pop. Sometimes they just pop. Symptoms tell us that there's something physically wrong. Emotions tell us something is wrong with us spiritually. You see, when you're always depressed and you're always sad, and you're always gloomy, and you're always down and out, then that lets us know there's a stronghold somewhere in your emotional thought life that's causing you to be constantly depressed. Did I ring a bell or something? When you're constantly afraid, you're constantly frightened, you're fearful of everything, there's dread and worry in you all the time. Your conversation is just dominated with... uh, gloom and despair and all kind of negative pessimism just flows out of your mouth. There's a stronghold somewhere. When you're all the time mad, 
mad, then you need to look around for a stronghold. There's a stronghold somewhere that you need to challenge and you need to face up to and tear down that stronghold and stop being mad. Life is too good. It's too dear to live sad and mad. God doesn't want you to be sad and mad. God wants you to to have peace, and God wants you to have confidence, and God wants you to have assurance in Him. You see, emotions are to the soul what symptoms, symptoms are to the body. Emotion is the energy that results from a stronghold. And according to the text that we just read, it's manifested in our fleshly members, our hands that shed innocent blood, our feet that are swift to do mission, our eyes that are only seeing despair, our ears that attend to rumor and innuendo and lips that maim and murder with words. Most of us think that those strongholds are external, but they're actually internal. They're internal. And it is not not meant by God for us to be held captive by anything. If thoughts have you captive, if in your thought life, in your thinking, you are defeated and a victim, then God wants to free you from that victimization. God doesn't want you to be a victim. He doesn't want you to go through life with something hanging over your head that you've never addressed and challenged. I I want to challenge you today to challenge that stronghold that is in your life. Been that way 50 years, then my Lord, after 50 years, you're surely tired of being that way. Maybe it's time now to just challenge that and do something about that and say, God, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm not going to spend another night. I'm not going to get up another morning and look forward to a day of sadness and madness. Thank you. Those fleshly weapons of our warfare are implements of a very real spiritual enemy of the church. We've got to realize, folks, that we are in a battle. We're in a battle. And God put us here on this earth to be a testimony and to be a witness. And we're doing a miserable job of that right now. I don't know if I could hear God speak to us right now. I I think he'd be pretty upset with us. Because most of God's people are at this moment huddled in fear, speaking all kind of pessimism and all kind of ruination. And it's almost as if they've just accepted Satan's word that the Lord has left us. But I want to tell you, the Lord has not left us. The Lord has not taken his hand off of us. The Lord has not abandoned his purpose of the church on this earth. God has not changed his mind. God has not withdrawn his power. God has not withdrawn his spirit. His presence is with us. His promises are faithful. And of all the times for the church to be strong in what we believe, right now is a time for us to be the people of God and stand up and declare the things of the Lord. Today in this country and our culture, there are strongholds that the church is just now beginning to recognize 
as another wave of opposition from the spirit of darkness and wickedness in high places. This new wave of opposition that we're facing right now. Who would have thought that we would, if I would have told you Christmas that in October, September and October, there will be churches that will be forbidden to have church and there will be all kinds of weird things going on like you've never seen before in your life, you'd tell me, you'd say, Pastor, that's not possible. That's not possible. That may happen over a long period of time, but not in a few months. I am astounded at the way that Americans, especially Christian Americans, have handled this whole thing. I really am. It seems as if the scaredest people are Christian people. And I want to say to you, our God is sufficient today to do what He has always done and always will do. He is God, and beside Him there is none other. And I want to tell you, there is a culture that is attempting to dismantle the church in this country. If you think this is just recent, you need to think again. This plan has been strategized for a long time. This has been in the making for a long, long time. Amen. There are those in this country that want to destroy the churches of America. And with less than 10% of us even going to church anymore, that don't seem like a very hard thing for people to do. Did you say less than 10? Oh, yeah, but if you ask, if you get the census, and it mark, I want you to mark there if you're a Christian or not, 75% of us will mark that we're a Christian. But less than 10% of us ever go to a church. Go figure. We hear people spouting out their slams against the church. Well, I believe in a God, but I, I don't like that, that notion of a church. That whole notion of church, I'm opposed to that. I don't believe that. Well, I want to tell you something. If you don't believe in the church, then you don't believe the Bible. Because the Bible states emphatically that the church is God's institution. In fact, it states that he purchased the church with his own blood. It, it tells us that he's coming back for a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and acceptable unto God. Church is God's idea. Church is the extended hands of God in this world. And to say that you don't believe in church, you might as well just throw God in that list too, because if you don't believe in the church, you don't believe in God. There is a work and there's an effort that is at work today. There's an initiative in this country to dismantle Christianity. Do you know that socialism, in socialistic societies, God is the state. And Marxism and socialism will not tolerate any other God than the state. 
That's why they're atheists. There is a group that is at work right now to destroy people that worship God and establish people that worship the state in this country. And for the most part, Christians will just snooze right through it all. They have boldly declared to us, we'll take you over and never fire a shot. The only way they can do that is for righteous people to do nothing. We're finding out that there's an enemy that wants to wipe out churches, but not just our, our churches. They want to do away with everything that we call the culture. Freedom, a democracy, capitalism, that all is on their list, and they want that all gone. I don't know if you're listening real good or not, but you need to be listening to what you're hearing some of these people say. Wake up, America. Wake up, church. Wake up, Christians. Wake up, people of God. Wake up. Wake up. Don't let them fill your spirit with that kind of negative pessimism. Thanks be to God, he's never lost a battle. He cannot do what they say he's going to do, fail. He cannot fail. He is God. He is creator God. He made the world and all that is in it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God is still in control. God is in charge. And he simply says it this way, if my people, my people, there's no greater force on this earth than God's people. There's nothing that can happen if God's people will remain true and faithful to God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent, America needs to repent. That Bible I preach out of says this, and the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations, nations that forget God. Brother, what we've got to do as a church is make sure they don't forget. What we've got to do as people who proclaim righteousness is to fill the airways and fill every way we can with news that God is God and that he's not lost any of his power, that he's still got some people who have not bowed down to the idols. He's still got some people that will boldly embrace the cross. He's got some people that will declare that the blood of Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of sin. God needs a people that will stand up, wake up and stand up and be a voice for God. What was it that Mordecai said to Esther? He said, Esther, if you hold your peace, then God won't be defeated. He'll raise up something for, from another source. And he made this statement. Are you listening? If you hear only one thing I say, hear this. Who knows but what thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows but what thou art come to the kingdom for such a time 
as this. Can God count on you? Can God count on you? You see, a lot of people think that a strong hold is something that's got a hold on them. But it might be that a stronghold is not something that holds you. It may be something that you hold on to. Judges chapter 6, if you could put that up there for me, please. Verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. How many in this house know that God gives whoopings? Anybody here know that God gives whoopings? Well, let me ask you a real close up and personal question. Has God ever whooped you? Now, let me just say this. Every one of you should have raised your hand because the Bible said if the Lord has never chastised you, if you've never felt the chastisement of the Lord, you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. When I don't do like God tells me I need to do, he gets out his whooping stick and he whoops me. Not because he hates me. Not because he wants to be spiteful or vengeful. But he knows that I need correction. He loves me too much to let me mess everything up. So when I mess up, he chastises me. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God's people, Israel, had, had a problem. Here's the problem. When they got into this promised land and everything's going great, Joshua is in charge, but sadly enough, Joshua died. You remember that sermon, who is on the Lord's side? Don't know what, do I, what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember that? Well, when Joshua died, three generations later, there arose a generation that knew not God. In other words, some generation let the next generation down. Some generation let the next generation down. They didn't tell them the stories. They didn't tell them the scriptures. They didn't, they didn't implant in them a belief system in God. And the Bible said the result of it was this, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Could I ask you a question? Could that statement be made about America today? Everybody's just about doing what's right in their own eyes. Why? Because the church is not preaching it. Because people are not declaring it. Because leaders are not requiring it. Come on, somebody. And in that, that vein, my Lord... We may stand in judgment one day, blood drip from our hands because we just simply didn't share the message and just simply didn't care, make an effort to make sure the next generation knows about God. Is Harvest a Pentecostal church? Yes. 
Is there any evidence around anywhere to prove that? I mean, we're sitting here like a bunch of sad sacks this morning. That used to be said about, let's go down there to that Pentecostal church where they all preach. Let's go down there to that Pentecostal church where they, they all pray together down there. Let's go over there to that Pentecostal church where people says they got healed. Let's go over there to that Pentecostal church where that preacher gets excited when he preaches. What about the next generation? We've got kids going to youth camp that have never heard of tongues and interpretation. We've got kids that go to youth camp that they have to counsel with when somebody falls out in the spirit. The kids are so traumatized, they don't know what's going on, they have to talk to them. Don't even know that we even believe anything like that. I feel like an Elijah pray, crying out like one in the wilderness, Brother Ford. You see, when God sent them, listen to what he said. He sent them into Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. You see that? See that there in verse 2? They made strongholds. People can make strongholds too. They'd been disobedient to God. They'd taken up idol gods. They were wearing little trinkets and little icons about their particular God of choice. And God said, that's not going to happen. And the Bible said God delivered them. That generation that knew not God didn't know what to do about the existence of God. I'm going to hurry, I promise. And the Bible said that because he delivered them over to the Midians, they came and the people of Israel would sow their crops and they would plant their gardens and then as soon as harvest time came, here would come the Midianites and take all the produce and take all the grain and all the things they'd worked so hard for. Could I tell you that the enemy wants to steal our harvest? Do you realize, Harvest Church of God, that the enemy will come in and steal the harvest that God assigned for you to reap the harvest? Souls that would be saved, lives that would be touched, hearts that would be blessed. The enemy will come in and steal your harvest. Yes, he will. The goodness of God. And that happened so long until the people just felt like God has forsaken us and God has left us and God's finished with us. Look at verse 12. I'm hurrying, I promise. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, God is with you. You mean God doesn't leave you alone just because you got a stronghold in your life? You mean God doesn't abandon you and turn you out of the church because you've got a stronghold in your life? No. You mean the Lord still comes close to people that have strongholds in their life? Yeah. How do you think you sit around in church 50 years with a stronghold? God's not going to leave you. And he says to him, the Lord is with you. God is with you. And then he says something so strange. Thou mighty man of valor. What 
surely I missed reading that. God said to him, called him a mighty man of valor. Look where he is. If you look at the first verse, it tells you he was at the wine press threshing wheat. A wine press is for mashing grapes. It's not for threshing wheat. What was he doing on the threshing floor grinding grapes? The Bible said it was because he was afraid and he was operating in secret and undercover. So he went down to a place that was designed for something else to do what he wanted to do. In other words, he was so dysfunctionally functional. Have you ever had your stronghold to make you so dysfunctional that you were at a wrong place doing, trying to do the right thing but you had it so backwards that it wouldn't work out. And suddenly God says to him when he's in the wrong place trying to do the right thing, and God says to him, you're a mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. And listen to what he says back. And Gideon said to God, oh, my Lord. How many times have I heard some of you say, oh, my Lord. Gideon said, oh, my Lord. How many times have I heard that? Every time I go to church over there at Harpeth, that preacher preaches, the Lord is with you. Gideon said, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then is all of this befallen us? And where be all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. God's through with us. God's finished with us. He's forsaken us. He's left us. He's gone. Don't you hate to hear that from a Christian? Brother Jerry, I'm just kind of disappointed in God. I thought he would do this. I thought he would do that. Brother Jerry, I, I'll just tell you, I, I, don't, I don't feel like praising him this morning because, you know, uh, I, I just don't understand. How many times do you hear that kind of jargon, that kind of verbiage? come out of a Christian's mouth. What's happened? The stronghold is prevailing. That accusation that's not true, that person has believed that accusation that Satan put in his heart that God is not good, that God is not faithful, that God's word is not true. That's the stronghold. And Gideon is saying, that's what's happened here. God hath forsaken us and turned us over to our enemies. And the Lord looked upon him. You mean God still looks upon me even when I'm talking crazy? 
You mean God still cares for me even when I've gone off the deep end with all my depression and all of my negativity and my craziness? You mean God still speaks to me? God still knows where I am? God still comes to me in all of my misery and dysfunction? He still knows where I am? And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go, get out of this place of pessimism. Get out of this dysfunctional way of yours. Go. Somebody needs to hear that word. Go. Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Harvest needs to remember you are sent by God. You were ordained by God. You were purposely planned by God. You have come all of this way because God has made a way for you. And your future is as bright as the promises of God. God will not take his hand off you until he finishes what he started in you. God is with you. Go, go in the power of his might. Trying to finish, I promise. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? My family is poor. I'm of the tribe of Manasseh. That's the least of them all. I am the least in my father's house. I'm the least of the least of the least of the least. How in the world do you call me a mighty man of valor when I'm a nobody from nowhere and have done nothing? Sometime when I get to heaven, I want to ask God how he picks and chooses people. Sometimes he chooses, correct that, most of the time he chooses the most unlikely person for the task. Now, in my day, I used to shoot a little basketball. I shot pretty good. But I wasn't tall. How would you like, they don't have any spectators, so you'll have to use your imagination. If the Boston Celtics tonight couldn't put Kyrie Irving out there on the court to score 30 points, have 12 assists, 15 rebounds. And somebody called down here and said, is your name Irvin? No, it's Irwin. Well, that's close enough. Uh, get on the next plane and fly up here tonight. We're going to put you on the court out there. We're going to substitute you for Kyrie Irving. Have you lost your ever-loving mind? That's about what happens here with God picking up Gideon. The least of the least of the least. The one you would not even give a second look. Gideon, he's that wheat thresher from over yonder. 
You don't want him, Lord. He can't fight flies out of his face. Who you think he's going to deliver Israel? He's going to be a mighty man of valor? I'm so glad that God doesn't look at you where you are and who you are and what you've been through and whose son you are and how inefficient you are. God looks at you and what you can become and what God can use you to do and to perform. God sees the future. God sees the potential. God's for you when you're not even for yourself. God will help you when you won't even help yourself. Isn't it something that God chooses the most unlikely people to do his plan? And the Bible said, and he delivered Israel. Stand with me. There's no need to come to the music. I won't be that long. There's a guy in the book of 2 Samuel. His name is Shamgar. Has anybody heard of Shamgar? Anybody ever? Two, three, four, five. Mark knows who Shamgar is. Shamgar was one of those guys that the Midianites had oppressed. And he was just an old sod buster, just an old dirt farmer. And all he had at his disposal was an ox goad. You know what that is? It's a stick that you goad the oxen to keep going so he'll plow. All he had in his hand, Wanda, was a, a stick, a pointed stick. And the Bible said he was over in the pea patch. The Bible called them lentils. Over in the pea patch, picking peas when the enemy came over the hill. Ordinarily, throw down your stick and run. That's the way they've been handling the problem and give the peas to the enemy. But this time, Shamgar looked up and Sandra, he said, I'm not going to run this time. I'm not going to run this time. I know all of my friends and neighbors, they tell you, you better run. But I've run my last time. I'm not running this time. I'm not running this time. I've only got a stick in my hand. Don't know how long it'll last. Don't know how long it'll, 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 it'll endure. But if it's all I got, I'll take it and I'll make a stand because they've took my peas for their last time. I like that last time mentality, don't you? And the Bible said, and he took that stick, and he walked out, and he said, if you're looking for Shamgar, this is him. And if you're looking for his pea patch, this is it. And if you're looking for a fight, you got it. Come on. And the next thing you know, they're engaged. And the Bible said when he got through swinging, and when he looked around that day, he'd killed a thousand of them. And instead of him running, they ran. God don't need much. He just needs one or two. God don't mind being in the minority. 
God don't mind being outnumbered. God don't mind big and you small if he's just got somebody that will stand up and say, not this time, not this time. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to be what God called me to be. I'm going to do what God's children do. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to stand right here and fight. I may perish, but if I perish, I perish. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen today because I've had my last time running. Glory to God. I hope some people will leave here today saying, praise God, I accept the challenge, Brother Jerry. I'm not going to cow down. I'm not going to be apologetic because I'm a Christian. I'm not going to try to make excuses for God. I'm not going to try to explain away why things are and this pandemic and God being mean to people. I'm not going to address that no more. I'm going to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and say, nevertheless, God is good. Hey, if you're going to depend on an answer from me, it's going to come from God's Word. And it's going to come from what I know to be true and who God is. What are you saying? I'm saying for the church to be the church. And for God's people to be God's people. Oh, no, God don't want you to be stupid. No, don't do stupid things. Don't tempt and try God. Don't do that. Use common sense, but at the same time, Know in whom you have believed. Know in whom you have believed. And be persuaded that He's able. He's able. Come what may, Lisa, come what may. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Going to serve the Lord. Going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to serve the Lord. Going to serve the Lord. Going to serve the Lord. And should I make it till next Sunday, I'll step in that pulpit and tell you again, as for this house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for harvest, we're going to preach it. As for harvest, we're going to sing about it. As for harvest, we're going to keep on being who we are and doing what we do till he comes. Till he comes. Till he comes. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in your house today. Thank you for the word of the Lord that will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose wherein to it's sent. Thank you for the people that are watching by internet. Thank you for those, O oh Lord, that have been touched today and challenged to tear down strongholds, not by carnal means, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us like Gideon, O oh God, to rise and accept the challenge and be deliverers for God. Help us, O oh Lord, in our families, in our homes, to be a voice for God and His goodness. Don't ever let us, O oh Lord, let the enemy establish a stronghold in our life that would deny the goodness of God. We bless you and we praise you in dismissal today. Amen and amen.